All right, we're in a series uh, entitled, Jesus Did What? We're looking at extraordinary lessons from no ordinary life. Jesus did amazing things, you know, outrageous things, sometimes maybe scandalous, shocking, and surprising things, such as a few weeks ago when we kicked off the series, we talked about how Jesus used spit, his spit, to bring healing on three separate occasions. We talked about uh, God's delays that sometimes the Lord seemingly would show up to an appointment late. As a result, two people in the Gospels that, that we know of lost their lives. But God is never late. His delays are not denials. Last weekend, we talked about how at times it seems as though Jesus was wasteful, right? When he multiplied the fish and the loaves and there were 12 baskets left over and when he turned the water to wine at a wedding reception. And we talked about how he's not wasteful, but he always exceeds our expectations. And this weekend, we're looking at how at times in the Gospels, it appeared and it seemed that Jesus was very offensive at times. Now, our text for this series is 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Let's read this out loud together. Anyone who says he is a Christian should live as Christ did. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for this day that we're here at the right place at the right time, Lord. It's not a coincidence or an accident, Lord, that you have us here today. We thank you for the incredible worship that we just experienced. We thank you, Father, now for the ministry of the Word, that you sent your Word and healed them. Psalm 107, verse 20. And I thank you that your Word's going to go forth and bring wholeness and healing and, and life and blessing into the hearts of your people. I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. There's another verse of scripture I want you to look at with me. It's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. He said, don't think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, what is a sword? It's a weapon. It's an offensive weapon. It's a defensive weapon. And Jesus came to bring a sword, a sword that divides. That sword speaks of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Bible says. It speaks of truth. It speaks of the ability that truth has to cut to the chase, to cut to the heart, to pierce the heart. And in the time that Christ lived, the world was filled with lies. The time that we live in, our world is filled with political lies and religious lies and, and economic lies. And the truth of God's Word will pierce that. Now think about this. Jesus could get away with things that you and I could not get away with. There are times that Jesus could say things that you and I might not be able to get away with at times. Jesus in the Gospels used labels on people. He would label certain people. This uh, is very uh, tricky work, all right? But because he's God and he knows the hearts of men like nobody else, he could do this. And particularly, Jesus would use labels on people who had positions of power, religious, political, economic power. And what got under our Lord's skin was when people in positions of power used their power to misuse people, to intimidate people, to manipulate people, and to dominate people. You see, all power ultimately comes from God. And Jesus had all power in heaven and earth had been given to him. Yet he used that power to lift people. He used that power to serve people. So when Jesus was confronted with the religious leaders of his day and how they were abusing their positions, how they were abusing the holy name of God and the holy teachings of Scripture. He described them this way. At times, he would call them liars. 
One time he called them a brood of vipers, which means a family of snakes. And because snakes are venomous and poisonous, he was basically saying to those religious leaders that they were deadly sons of serpents. How many know you don't win friends and influence people that way? You don't get people on your side by calling them brood of vipers. There were times he would call them hypocrites or whitewashed tombs. On one occasion, out of holy anger, he referred to the most powerful political person uh, in that region of the world at that time, Herod. He called him a fox, a fox, which means a jackal. He was saying that he was sly, destructive, and a plunderer, just like a fox. On one occasion, Jesus referred to a personal friend, one of his close associates. He called him Satan. Once he looked at Peter, and Peter was saying things that they weren't coming from Peter, they weren't coming from the Lord. Satan, they were coming from the enemy. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. You're nothing but a stumbling block to me. There was once a woman who was non-Jewish. She was a Syrophoenician woman. She had a daughter that was grievously vexed by demons. And she came to Jesus for help. And she plead, was pleading with Jesus for help. And Jesus responded to her this way. He said, it's not right to give the children's bread, the Jewish people. It's not right to give the children's bread to dogs. Whoa, wait a minute. If you and I were walking with Jesus that day, we probably would have turned to one another and say, did he just call that woman a dog? Well, indirectly. But that didn't stop the woman. You see, Jesus wanted to bring out tenacious faith. Jesus wanted to test her heart if she was sincere in wanting this miracle, and it didn't stop her. Here's how she responded. She said, yes, but even the dogs eat the breads that fall from the master's table. And Jesus turned to her and said, because of that saying, go home, your daughter is healed. So there were times that Jesus would say things and he would do things. Once a guy said, I want to come follow you, but my father just passed away. I need to first go and bury him. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. What? Was Jesus against this man burying his father? No, the problem was he said, let me first go bury my father. No, the only thing that you do first is you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added unto you. Once Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever preached. And in the sermon, out of nowhere, he said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. And he gave no explanation. I mean, could you imagine if kids were in that particular service and they turned to their mom and dad, they says, mom, does that mean literally pluck our eye out? I don't know, son. He said it. I guess so. <laughs> but there was a spiritual meaning behind it. And so we were always, you know, we, were, we, we should always take Jesus seriously, but not literal, literally. Once he told a very wealthy man, and he only said this once to one wealthy man, but he knew his heart, and the man was wanting eternal life, but his God was his money. And Jesus said, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me, but the man couldn't do it because Jesus touched the core of his being. His idol was money. On one occasion in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus was speaking and he told a story and the Pharisees that day understood that he was describing them. And the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, the Pharisees were offended by the things you said. And Jesus said this, sometimes it's, it's kind of humorous, Jesus would speak in riddles. People would ask him a question and then he wouldn't answer the question that they, were that they were asking him. So they said, don't you know that you offended some of the Pharisees? And he said this. 
He said, every plant that my father's not planted will be uprooted. I'm sure Peter looked at John and said, do you know what that means? <laughs> there were times that they didn't understand what Jesus was saying, and so they would get along with him sometimes and say, could you please explain that uh, uh, to us? Now, if Jesus were living, uh, if Jesus were alive and in the flesh today, I would venture to say that there, were many, there would be many churches in America that Jesus would not be welcome in because of his controversial style and, and because of his non-political uh, style of, of preaching. One of my favorite authors uh, over the last 37 years of walking with Christ, uh, one of the most prolific, almost prophetic in nature in his writings, was A.W. Tozier. And look at what A.W. Tozier said. The most intolerant book in all the wide world is the Bible, the inspired Word of God, and the most intolerant teacher that ever addressed himself to an audience was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I believe that. And I believe that many pastors, unfortunately, and, and to my chagrin I say this, Many pastors and many teachers in pulpits throughout our country in particular, they go to great lengths to sanitize the scriptures from their offensive nature. Because you see, at times, scripture can be offensive. At times, the truth hurts. At times, the sword pierces our hearts. Sometimes, God places his finger upon the idol in our lives, and it makes us feel very uncomfortable. But you know, sometimes you have to make a person mad before you can make them glad. I'm sure there are some really good coaches in here in our service. I know there are some really good educators in here. And as a coach or as, as an educator, your job is not to get your athletes or the kids in your classroom to think you're the best and to think you're the greatest. Your job is to help them become the best athletes they could possibly be. Your job is to help educate them to be the best they could possibly be in life. And so the goal isn't trying to win them over and to make them your friends, but to invest your life in them, to challenge them to be at their very best. For those of you that have had great coaches growing up, it was the coach at times that would make you mad that brought the best out of you. You see, the, jo the job and the goal of every parent in here is not to get your kids to think you're the coolest dad or you're the coolest mom. The goal in here is not for our kids to be our friends. The goal is for our kids to be our children and that we were rearing them in the fear and admonition of the Lord and they may not always like us, but in the end they're gonna love us and they're gonna respect us because we know we have their best interests at heart. It's really no different with God. The writer of Hebrews chapter 12 talks about there are times because God loves us, he disciplines us. He scourges every son of his. And, and the, the writer of Hebrews uses the example that a, that a parent in love, never in anger, and never in a way to harm a child, does not spare the rod. And when you're, just, when, when, when you're giving the rod to your child and you're doing it in love and in an appropriate way, it doesn't feel good. But later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And because God's a loving Father, there are times He will discipline us. And here's what we know about God. If you've ever read the Bible, God is loving and God is all-powerful and God is compassionate and God is merciful. If He wasn't, we wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be here today. Thank God He's merciful. But God's not always nice. <laughs> you read through the Scripture like, whoa, He said that? Whoa, 
He did that both Old and New Testament. Sometimes preachers are ashamed of the Bible. They're ashamed of the stories in the Bible. There are some sections of Scripture they would never mention, they would never preach because they don't want to offend the sensibilities of those that are gathering to, to hear a message. Sometimes you have to make people mad before you can make them glad. It's a great truth in life. I love what John Wesley said once. He said, preach the law until they're convicted and then preach grace until they're converted. That's a good balance. Preach the law till they're convicted and then preach grace until they're converted. Uh, the great Charles Spurgeon said it this way, the needle of God's law needs to pierce the heart of man before the scarlet thread of grace could be wrapped around it. I don't know about you, but before I gave my life to Jesus, when I ever heard somebody witness to me or I heard, I, I heard people preaching at me, it would make me mad. Who is he to think he could tell me this, that? I would get mad. Sometimes you have to get mad before you get glad. And finally, 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 the truth of God's word pierced my heart. My sister got saved. You know this testimony, right? But it was so real. She got saved, and I thought, you've lost your mind. What's wrong with you? Jesus this and Jesus that and this fake smile on her face, which was real. Her countenance changed, and the devil in me didn't like the Jesus in her. Just call it for what it is, right? I even took her Bible one day, tore it up, and threw it in the trash. Can you believe that? Aren't you glad God's merciful? He should have struck me dead right there. If I were God, I would have struck me dead right there and then. I'm glad he didn't. You imagine Jesus being interviewed by Dr. Phil or Oprah Winfrey or Good Morning America. We have Jesus we're going to interview today. Jesus, you said many controversial things when you were on the air 2,000 years ago. Uh, would you like to change any of them? Uh, you know, marriage and the definition of marriage, Jesus has evolved in our culture today. Uh, have you changed your views on it? No, it's still the same. Therefore shall a man leave his mother, father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, okay, uh, Jesus, uh, with this new era of gender fluidity that you could wake up one day and feel you're this and be that, and another day feel you're that and be that, and you know, what's your take on that? In the beginning I created them male or female. That's it. That's it. Uh, Jesus, once you said, let me make sure I get the quote right, that if a child, if, if you harm a child, that person that harms a child, a millstone should be tied around their neck and they should be thrown in the depths of the sea. Uh, Jesus, we're sure you did not mean that literally. Yes, I did. Uh, we're going to go to commercial break right now. Let's get Jesus off the set. Get Jesus off the set. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't politically correct. You know, the church, by and large, has really bought into what I call the cult of kindness. The cult of kindness. Jesus didn't say, go in all the world and be nice to everybody. But go in all the world and preach the gospel. It's a sword. The sword of truth. The sword of the Spirit. It's going to pierce. It may hurt at first. When a doctor or a surgeon cuts to get out the cancer, or, or the, the, the doctor cuts, it hurts. I had to give blood work the other day. And uh, I love you guys in the, in the medical field. You guys really are awesome. I'm telling you, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not flattering you. Anytime you need to get a physical or blood work, you guys are awesome. And many of you attend here. <laughs> so, so I go in, and, and the young girl is going to take my blood. She goes, I'm a student in college. I guess they have to tell me that up front. I'm like, great. Give me a pro, please. 
And, and you know, that's, that was my first thought. And she took the needle, and she was looking, 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 and, and then she jammed. Mm, that was a little hard. Okay, that's cool. You can learn on, practice on me. I'm good, man. Just, I'm a laboratory rat, whatever. Okay. And it didn't feel good, but it was necessary to get the blood. Sometimes God's word and the truth of God's word will, will pierce. But this cult of kindness, what is the cult of kindness? Well, the cult of kindness doesn't conform what a person thinks or believes to reality. No, 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 no. But twists reality to conform to what a person thinks and believes. The cult of kindness puts feeling over facts, tolerance over truth, popularity over principle, tells others what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. We've gone from Christianity to Niceanity. I just finished reading through the Gospels in my devotional reading through Scripture. I'm now in the book of Acts. I'm now towards the, the latter chapters in the book of Acts. And let me tell you something. One thing in common. Jesus had a lot of trouble from the religious leaders of his day, the religious-minded people of his day. More from the religious-minded people of his day than the pagan people of his day, the Romans. And then the Apostle Paul had more trouble from the religious-minded people of his day, opposition, than from the Roman, the political power that was in power at that time. But there was great adversity and opposition to the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus at times would, would stir the pot. He would agitate the crowd as a strategy to expose the arrogance and bring the ignorance to the surface so that they could be in a position and a place to receive life transformation. But you might say, wait a minute, Pastor Carl, doesn't, doesn't the Bible say, judge not lest you be judged? You know, the one verse of Scripture that everybody in the world has memorized, definitely the one verse of Scripture that every atheist or agnostic non-believer has memorized is that verse from Matthew chapter 7 verse 1, judge not lest you be judged. Matter of fact, let's look at this section of scripture and let's really find out what Jesus was actually saying here on the Sermon on the Mount. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? Notice he says, to your brother. So it's not to the world, to the pagan world, because they do what they do because they don't know any better. But this is about, I am my brother's keeper, and we are in love to hold one another accountable. Let me first <clears throat> remove the speck from your eye, and look, and a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. This is Jesus preaching. Right? I've been here 15 years. I've, I've probably preached over 700 sermons in the 15 years I've been here. And all the time I've been here, I have never looked at you and said, hypocrites! I've never done that. I thought of it. <laughs> but I love my job. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, first of all, I, I can't do that. You know why? Because I'm, I'm a hypocrite. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all hypocrites. At the end of the day, we all have one thing in common. I know every single one of you came to church this morning and you have a speck in your eye. But here's what I also know. I've got a plank in my eye. And I'm very careful whenever I point my finger at somebody else because I've got three, three times worse pointing back at me. And that's what Jesus is saying here. But Jesus said, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs or, nor cast your pearls before swine lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you uh, in 
pieces. You know what Jesus was really saying here? The word judge, when he said, judge not lest you be judged, that word judge comes from the Greek word krino. The transliteration of it is K-R-I-N-O, krino. And it means to condemn. It means to punish. It means to damn. You see, no human being can sit in the seat of God's judgment. Only God can sit there. And no human being has the, the right or the power or the ability to condemn someone to hell. Only God, only God can do that. And really what Jesus was saying here is, don't be judgmental. Don't have a judgmental outlook in life. And people that are judgmental, they judge others based on their actions, but they always judge themselves based on their intentions. Well, I said that, but I didn't mean that. Well, I did that, but here's why. We should reverse that. It's a whole lot better in life for you and I to go through life judging others based on their intention, but judging ourselves based on our actions. It's always better in life to give one another the benefit of the doubt. That's what makes for a happy marriage. A husband always giving his wife the benefit of the doubt. She means well. The wife always giving the husband the benefit of the doubt. He means well. Ladies, on behalf of all husbands in service today, what we say we don't always mean. Sometimes our brain doesn't work very well, and things come out jumbled. And guys, you know you said something that crossed the line when your wife stops and says, you said what? <laughs> and then when she says it back, you're like, yeah, I, did I say that? I, I, did, I, I did not mean that. <laughs> we should always go through life not looking down our nose at others, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. The religious leaders of his day would sit perked up in their, their ivory towers and they would pontificate on their platforms of, of religious power and authority and they would look down on everybody else and it got under Jesus' skin. We should not be judgmental. We should not be condemning. We should never look down, look down our nose at others who may be living contrary to the standards of God's holy word. And yet, and yet, we should never compromise those holy standards. We should never endorse or approve or celebrate the ungodly behavior in others or in ourselves. See, you have to understand, people aren't sinners because they sin. We sin because we're sinners. In other words, it's our nature to sin. You see, you could take a pig and you could wash it and you could, you know, dress it up and put lipstick on it, but as soon as you're done, you know, giving that pig a manicure and a pedicure, right, and a facial, what's that pig going to do? It's going to ride back to the mud. Why? That's its nature. And until Christ changes our hearts and we're born again, it's our nature to sin. We're not sinners because we sin. Well, I sin. That makes me a sinner. No, I sin because I'm already a sinner. In my mother's womb, you and I, David said, I was conceived in sin in my mother's womb. That's why Christ comes to change our nature. But there is judgment in Scripture that is condoned. Three types. The first is judgment by civil authorities. Throughout the Bible, we know that the Bible describes people in, that have civil authority, and all authority comes from God, and it's delegated to them. But they sit in judgment. Those that break, a, break the law, those that commit a crime, they are to be judged, they are to be sentenced, and they have to pay restitution. That is very biblical. That type of judgment is biblical. The second type of judgment is the judgment by church leadership. When the leadership of a church comes together and if there is an unrepentant sinner in that church who is spreading false doctrine 
or is causing division or is involved in gross immorality and they're not repentful I'm not talking about we're not talking about someone that struggles with sin in their life but those who are not repentful those that are bringing harm a little leaven leavens the whole lump you have to excommunicate them it's very scriptural you may not approve of it you, you may not understand it but the Bible is very clear on that the first uh, few years I was pastoring here at Trinity there was a, an individual in the church that committed not only a sin but a crime against another family in the church you see not all sin is crime but all crime is sin there are certain sins that God says are sins but you're not going to be arrested and, and tried and convicted for them. and then there are there are sins that are also crimes this person not only committed a sin but a crime against another family in this church and so the family that was the victim of, of, of this individual, we called, they were both attended here, both members here. We called uh, the, the perpetrator in, and of course, they're innocent until proven guilty, yeah, but spiritually in discerning and walking in, in, in the leading of the Holy Spirit, we knew that this person did, but this person was wrong. And it was also a crime. And so we, he couldn't talk to us because it was under investigation. His lawyer gave him that advice. We understood that. But we said, listen, we can't have you coming to church here. We love you. And because we love you, we've called another church and we've made arrangements for you to start attending that church and then they'll hold you accountable through this season of repentance to make sure it's true repentance and that that person brought forth, forth the fruit of that repentance. Some people came to me and said, that's not very loving. Church is supposed to be loving, Pastor Carl. I said, it's loving to the family that this person sinned against. And it's what Scripture requires us on rare occasions to do. The third type of judgment that's talked about in Scripture, that's condoned in Scripture, is when we as Christians individually judge between right and wrong. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, uh, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about dogs, pigs, wolves, and sheep. On another occasion, he talked about goats. There are basically five types of people in the world. Dogs, sheep, wolves, pigs, and goats. <laughs> okay? And the difference is <clears throat> a dog is wild in nature. The dogs in the time of Christ were, were wild in nature. Pigs are unclean. Wolves are Satan's emissaries <clears throat> that go forth and try to harm the work of God. Goats are people that pretend to be Christians and they, and they get in amongst the sheep and they cause division and then they're sheep. The Bible compares this sheep to his pasture. And in life, you have to be able to make a value judgment. We don't, we're not judgmental, but we're discerning. You see, all of life, you're passing judgment. You, you, you got up this morning and you made a value judgment. Should we go to church? Should we not go to church? Should we go to church? Should we? You know you made the right choice. We, we judge, should I wear this, should I not wear this? Should I drive this, should I not drive this? Should I buy this car, should I not buy this car? Value judgments. Should I move to this city, should I not move to this city? Should I pursue this degree, should I not pursue this degree? You know, single people, should, should I marry this person, should I not marry this person? We're constantly making value judgments. Should a Christian drink, should a Christian not drink? Should a Christian smoke, should a Christian not smoke? What about marijuana use? What about, well, the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not use marijuana, but yet there are principles in the Bible that says all things may be lawful, but not all things are helpful. And you're not going to be successful in your spiritual walk with Christ if you're not discerning and if you don't know how to make 
value judgments according to the Word of God. And it may not make everybody in your world happy. You don't do it in a way that's, that's wanting to be hateful towards others or mean towards others. But you must stand. You must know what you believe. You must take a stance on what you believe. And really, it's a transaction between you and the Lord, who is your Lord and who is your Savior. You see, Jesus is not just our Savior, but He's our Lord. And that's where most people have conflict in life. They don't want anyone to be their boss. We want to be our own gods. We want to be our own boss. That was the original sin. But when we surrender our life to Jesus, He now becomes the Lord of our life. And as the Lord of our life, we no longer make decisions that are in our best interests or decisions that will make our flesh happy or decisions that will make the world and cause us to become famous and popular. We have to make decisions that will honor Him. Decisions that put God first in our life. Decisions at the end of the day that are pleasing to Him. I think all of us struggle with trying to locate the specks in other people's eyes. And before we go out trying to determine and ascertain what that speck might be in somebody else's life, we've got to take care of the big two-by-four that's coming out of our eye. See, Jesus was a carpenter. He was also a stonemason. He worked with stone. He worked with, with wood. Those of you that have worked with wood, you know that if you get a speck of dust in your eye, all of your world comes to a screeching halt until you get that little thing. Boy, it can create such irritation, right? The wind's kicking up the last couple of weeks, going outside, coming back in, your eyes are burning and you just want to scratch them. And I get in the house and Gloria's like, don't do it, Carl. I, I can't resist the temptation. You know, like, and all of a sudden they're like burning red. You look like Dracula. Just this little speck can create such irritation. But Jesus used a little bit of humor here. He said, first take the big two-by-four sticking out of your eye before you try to help your brother take it out of his eye. See, the world does what it does because they don't know any better. They're pagans. They're lost in sin and undone like we were before we saw the light of the glorious gospel. And so we, 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 can't, <clears throat> we can't discern their behavior. They're wrong. They'll, they'll always, anything they say and do is wrong until they get saved. But in love, we're to hold one another accountable. But what we can't do is go through life sizing people up, judging people, criticizing others, looking down our nose at others because they think differently or may do things differently or because they have a different struggle than we have. Most of the time, what irritates us in others is really what, 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 what we're struggling with in our own life. Here's what I've learned. Prideful people don't like other prideful people. People that struggle with greed point out the greed in others. And the old saying is true, it takes one to know one, okay? Right, right? And really it's projection, whether consciously or unconsciously. What I don't like in you is really what I've marginalized or I don't like in my own life. And so you, the other person kind of becomes a mirror that reflects yourself back to you and so that's why we resist or we don't like that individual. So we have to retrain ourselves. Sometimes you have to unlearn to learn, to relearn. And we have to unlearn 
the way we are, what comes natural by our, our Adamic nature. And that's to look down at others because they don't look like us, dress like us, walk like us, talk like us, think like us, act like us, or whatever. Not the right this, that, or the other. Jesus said we're to go through life and we're to be loving. We're to go through life and we're not to carry an offense. You see, I've learned the people that are the most easily offended are usually those that are very prideful because they interpret everything everyone says and does as a direct slight or insult to them. You can't go through life that way. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalm 119, verse 165, and it says this, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. You see, when you and I are just caught up in loving God and serving Him, nothing's going to offend us. I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, the First Lady Roosevelt, that once said, no one can offend you without your permission. I think we should stop giving permission to people to offend us. Well, did you hear what they said? That, that offends me. Why? Why? You see, if anyone had a right to be offended, it was Jesus. And yet, when he hung on that cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He didn't, he didn't go to his grave holding bitterness and unforgiveness and an offense. No, he released it. So Jesus said, love your neighbors. He said, love your enemies. Pray for those that despitefully use you and say all kinds of evil against you. Bless those that curse you. This was all in that famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus did what? He forgave people. He loved people. He sometimes spoke the truth in a candid way that could have come across on the surface as harsh. But he's wanting to bring the best out of people. He came to bring not peace, but a sword, a sword of truth and a sword that brings healing. I like every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we come before you today and we, we thank you for the, the example of Jesus that we're to follow and we're to be like Christ. We thank you, Lord, that we want to be more discerning and make better value judgments related to our life, our marriage, our family. So Holy Spirit, now speak to our hearts and may each of us say, Lord, what are you saying to me today through this message? Now take that to heart and by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, begin to live it out, apply it to your life. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed if you're here today and you need to rededicate your life to Christ or you've never been saved. Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. Today's the day. Now's the time. Open up your heart. Receive his love, grace, and forgiveness. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So pray this prayer out loud with the rest of us. Say it with your own mouth. Mean it from your own heart. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my father and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Give me strength to live for you and serve you all the days of my life, beginning today for the rest of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we thank the Lord together, church family?